0: It's time for Running Building the Game, the building game, the game with, with Jason and Friends, for tabletop on the with fun and friends, friends. With Jason and friends. it's at the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, December 6th, and you're listening at episode 497. As always, I am your host, Jason. Today, joined by game designer, writer, podcaster, sometimes live streamer, Kristen Devine. Hey Kristen, how are you doing?
1: Hey Jason, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, yeah, yeah. You are uh you are the third person with the last name Divine we've had on. Uh, really? I think I which... know one of them. Yes, you do know one <laughs> of them, your partner Tim, uh, who was on talking about Questlings quite a while back. Yes. Um, a long time ago, we had a guy on named Danny Devine, who's a listener of the show and also a game designer. Who lives in California? Uh, you maybe should meet him. <laughs> I don't know where in California he lives, though. So yes.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Danny Devine, if you're listening, find me on Twitter. We should definitely <laughs> be friends, just based on our last names. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: What would have been funny is if you'd been like, "No, I'm related to Danny," but um. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I- I'm excited. To, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, so you've, you've worked on a lot of different stuff. Uh, I knew about like North Sea epilogues and you've got mm-hmm. this game coming up called Adorablins. And, and we met through some play testing um, that we did for uh, a game that Banana um, was working on. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we met through that and I can't remember if we've ever, I don't know if we play tested anything together. It was just that one time we
1: met. Right. Um, we met when we were, when we were being taught, how to facilitate a play test yes. for one of banana's yes, yes, games yes, yes. Uh, so we haven't actually played multiple games together it was just that one time
0: right right it's it's always hard to remember like because you meet so many people in this industry so much and um and like you hear names that sound so familiar right and then you meet someone and you're like oh i've never actually met you like in perth that that's weird you know yeah or the awkward like oh we've never met in person and the person's like yes we have and you're like oh gosh like <laughs> it's not you it's me it's me i'm like awful at remembering names awful at remembering <laughs> those things so um yeah so um yeah but you worked on uh, you know i know North Sea Epilogues was was a big game uh, for your company Dice Up Games uh, which yeah. you co-own right you and Tim co-own that company yes. is that
1: correct that's yes, cool. correct yeah
0: and you've worked on both the RPG side and on the uh, and on the tabletop side.
1: Yeah, a little bit. So when we uh, when we decided to work with or not decided when we had the opportunity really to work with Garfield Games on North Sea Epilogues, that was really our first time where we had designed a game that was based on a board game. Um, I haven't done that since. All the games I've designed since then have been like strictly tabletop role playing. Mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Um, same with writing. I'm actually writing for a board game right now for the first time, but the majority of even the writing I've done has been for like your typical indie tabletop role-playing game.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I think obviously there's um there was there's always a lot of demand for writing in that side of the industry, but but we're seeing more and more for board games, right? Where people want to hire writers to write good content for board games rather than just like slapping it together themselves. Right?
1: Yeah. It, it's actually smart. Really, it is smart. And I love it because um, what I'm writing for right now is last light by gray Fox games. And so of course they have like a whole team of people who may, who did the hard work, right. Who like made the actual game and are doing the beautiful art. Um, but I get every week I get a piece of art and I create a faction based on that art. So I get to create like their home world and their history. And it's so fun. And I love the idea that even though you're playing a board game, when you pick which faction you're going to play in that game, you get this Mm -hmm. little snippet. Right. And I feel like that helps kind of bring that the worlds together, the role playing Mm -hmm. world and the board game world. So I love it. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, and I think I think for certain games, right, like if you're you know, if you're going to delve into um, kind of the mythos or the lore of it, right, like. Do it right. Um, I, I totally respect that there are some games where that's just not necessary. Right. Um, I think I think too, I've seen some games where it's completely unnecessary and then they're like, they do that, and you're like, this is not a game where that like matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like because there <laughs> are games where like it really matters and like and it is. It's just it's just great to see people as writers getting hired to do that stuff. Um, because you know, I, I know for myself, like What I was working, I think I was working with banana on something and then I was pivoting to work with another co-designer on a project. And, um, and I was like, we could just hire a writer to do this part for us. (laughs) Like, like, we don't have to stress about this. Like (laughs) we could stress about the mechanics just fine. Right. We could hire a writer to help create this, the, you know, the story part of this. And then, and then everybody's in their lane. Right. (laughs) It's just working well.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I think it helps, especially when you've worked, so long and so hard on designing a game and you're like up to your eyeballs in it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really hard to step back. And so having fresh eyes and someone who has the experience or the passion to write for a game, it's helpful. If if you can afford it, right. If you can do it, then it's helpful to bring people in.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is a good point. Obviously there's costs there. There should be costs there. Pay writers, um, pay them what they're worth, pay them fairly. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think as a designer, too, I, I'm really theme heavy as a designer, um, unless I'm doing like something super abstract, like I want the theme, you know, even if it's just a simple card game, like I don't necessarily want to like, like create tons like so I have this game on real estate where like, it's, it's simple, like it's a simple like drafting game, um, but it's set in a fantasy world. And like we didn't have to do a bunch of like content creation for it because it's just a simple card game, right? You're literally drafting houses and building houses. Like that's that's what you're doing. Um, and you do that by drafting cards and playing cards. It's not rocket science. Um, but you know, every house in there, like if it's like the if it's like the um I haven't played the game in a while. It's like <laughs> the first game I had published. But I like, know feeling. like, for instance, you know, like if it's like the 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 orc tent, right? Or the the orc, it was the the ogre tent. Like that building can can move and it can move because it's a tent, right? So you can pack it up and you can move it along, right? And, yeah. and so that stuff is really important to me, even if the game isn't super theme heavy. Um, but I think one of the benefits to having a writer from a mechanical side, just speaking purely from the mechanical side is, like for instance, you coming up with these factions, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, as a game designer, I might look at that and say, Oh wow! Like Kristen did. This is this really is not something I would have thought of this way. Like, I might mechanically take some of those influences and and work that into the mechanic right from the theme and from the specifics. And I love that. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, I I I love that. Um,
1: Same. So I. Yeah, I I love it too. I think it's great, and I love that. Um, I get it for the specific project. I receive a piece of art and then also like three keywords. And the keywords are, I don't know how much I can say about the game, but the, the keywords are um relevant to moves that folks will have in the game. And so I make sure that the backstory nice. includes those so that just like what you said. So, so that, you're
0: reverse engineering that basically. Re- re-
1: yes, exactly. Oh, I love that. It's so oh, I yeah. love that. It's really cool.
0: That's fantastic. I, I I noticed that a lot. Like you see that in 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 really, you know, for for a long time like some IP games were done very poorly, right? Like the mass market type IP games. Mm -hmm. And now that you see more of those being done really well, that's one of the things I noticed that when like a character, like from say a comic or something has an ability and you're like, oh crap, like that's when I see that, I think, oh, that's because they can do this and this. Right. And like that, that extra effort that made those two things line up just really as a player feels inspiring um, because it feels like, like, I get this, like this, this syncs together really well. And, and I feel like I'm part of the experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, uh, yeah, I would love to, to talk a bit about a topic here today. Uh, and so one of the things, um, so you've got this game we're going to talk about a little later, uh, called the door mm-hmm. Um, and so that game you were mentioning is based off from, uh, uh, the powered by the apocalypse, right? So it's the apocalypse yes. system is what it is technically. Is that correct? Yes. That? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So our system is in. It's a very stripped down version of a powered by the apocalypse or a PBTA, as it's referred to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, game, but yes, you're correct.
0: Um. So. So what I think is really interesting about that, and we were talking before the show that. Um, you know, you took this system that is meant for um, for more generally adult games, and you've stripped it down for something that can be playable by kids. But you know, theoretically, right, still fun with adults, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the best thing for like a kids game is where that adults are like, I want to play this too, right? Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, so first, I w- so I would love to talk about the process that you all went through doing that. Um, and then we'll we'll dive in and we'll talk a bit uh, about Adorablins itself. Um, so but could we start off just with a little um, kind of explanation of, of you know what it means to be powered by the apocalypse and, and how that system works in general just for the the listeners that aren't familiar with
1: that? Sure. So po- um, the powered by the apocalypse game was originally designed Ooh, i want to say 2010 i'll have to fact check that but somewhere around 2010 um by the bakers the baker family um and since then there have been many many games made that are powered by the apocalypse system or or pbta game pbta game sorry
0: 2010 you were correct
1: Nice. Okay, that's impressive. Well, to be to be candid, I had to look that up recently for something else a few weeks ago, and I was like, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. Um, Thanks for checking. Yeah, no problem. So typically, the system again, it has been uh, you know hacked or reshaped uh, multiple Mm -hmm. times. The foundation of it is really it's a two D six system, and usually you are adding you're rolling your two D six, you're adding a modifier and a six or below is a f- straight fail, a seven to nine is like a fail, a partial success or a success with a consequence depending on how it's worded. And then 10 and up is a straight success usually with some sort of bonus. Um, so that's typically how the system works. And if you have not played a Powered by the Apocalypse or a PBTA game, um, then I can tell you that what also is v- very common is a playbook so you are normally picking a playbook that has specific moves to your type of character that you're playing in that Mm, powered mm -hmm. by the apocalypse game um some powered by the apocalypse games are like masks monster hearts uh the new avatar game by magpie is going to be powered by the apocalypse yes that's awesome so a lot of some folks may have played it without realizing it's a it's a pbta game so what we did what tim and i did is, uh, we have kids, um, and we had, our son is now eight, but when he was about four or five, he wanted to do things like play games, Mm -hmm. but, um, I know all kids are different. Our kid wasn't ready for like a D and D or heavy system type game at the Mm -hmm, time, mm -hmm. not even a powered by the apocalypse game, even though it's a fairly easy system. And so what we did is we took that 2d6 system and we removed a lot of the like detailed moves and, and things that are more, I would say older kids to adults um, level of understanding. And so what we did is we basically created a 2d6 system that has four stats and depending on what our, our playbooks are actually adorblins So depending mm-hmm. on who you pick, you have your four stats there and you get a companion. And so it's just a really again stripped down version of that more complex system. We did it in like a weekend <laughs> once mm-hmm. to play it with our son. Uh it was obviously super rough at that time, but it worked. He seemed to get it. He seemed to enjoy it. It helped teach him math because he, nice. right? he had to add up he add up his dice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was that was really inspiring for both Tim and myself. And we we actually had um fun play testing it with adults so we got a few of our friends together like on a friday night and we played it with them and it was it was a lot of fun for them as well that tends to be a little more silly and improv heavy but it worked mm-hmm. for them as mm-hmm. well
0: oh that's awesome that's awesome so the and i know in Adora blends that your your playbook is basically a card right like one exactly. card um what is it what's what does a playbook look like in um in like an, an actual pbta game are they like longer, or shorter, like they're, you know, it,
1: they're longer. So typically it is um, so if we take masks, for example, which is a teenage superhero setting, mm-hmm. uh, you will pick your type of superhero. It usually will give you a a little blurb on like your background, like you're the doomed. And so it tells you this little paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also you design your look and your superhero name, and then you pick moves right and so you kind of build this character i i want to say it's one two pages versus our single card so it is more in depth a playbook right, is more right, in depth right. than a typical PBTA game
0: okay okay that makes sense and is that i mean so that's um you know your playbook kind of replaces what like you in a dnd you would use for like a character sheet
1: exactly something. yeah yeah that's exactly what it is yes it's your character sheet
0: right right and then um I typically with, with the PPTA games, are they like long running campaigns or short one shots? Or is it like you can do the variety of whatever?
1: Yeah, you can do a variety. I'm laughing because when I, so I, for two years I had a podcast where we, it's called powered by the players. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. It's
0: <laughs> well, good.
1: Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's actually still going. Uh, so uh, Morgan and Diana uh, run, run that show now. Um, but I was, I was a co-host and an editor for uh, about a year and a half, two years. Uh, and the part of the reason why Morgan and I talked about starting that podcast is because the first five or six times I played a Powered by the Apocalypse game, I played a one-shot. Mm-hmm. And you put in, especially if you're someone who likes to game and you're really passionate, you put in so much time building your character, picking your moves. Another big thing in PBTA games is your relationships. So you like answer relationship questions. You're now tied to this group of people. And then you play for like three hours. And that's it. And so, oh, gosh, yeah, although yeah. although there are definitely PBTA games that lend themselves well to one shots, my personal opinion is it's it is more fulfilling to play them over a campaign because there is a level up system. You do get more mm-hmm. moves, and so it's more fulfilling, I think, to play it long term.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I I feel that I once played Mutants and Masterminds um, one time. One time I spent three weeks coming up with this super detailed character that I was like really, really happy with. It was like, like I put so much time and effort into it um, and was like in love with the character and the backstory and like, and he had like two different superpower modes where sometimes he was like Doc Ockish, but then other times he was like this like crazy Hulk type. And I was like, so like, oh, I'm so into this. Yeah. And then we literally played a two hour one shot. Um And that was it. I got to do one battle as each person and a couple scenes as each person. And uh, that was it. Like that was uh, that was the whole deal. Um, And I remember being super sad about that because I had been so excited um, that I actually ended up uh, running my own like kind of like hybridized version of. Um, of mutants and masterminds for another group for like a year and a half because i was like i want to tell stories and then i just made my character like one of the npcs that was like nice. a villain and they had to deal with that and then i st- i got to feel like i was fulfilled but yeah I, like i love one-shot adventures for what they are but mm-hmm. it really like if you're putting a lot of effort into it right like yeah. that's hard like one shots give me a pre-gen character
1: yeah exactly and i think because some of the you know some of your relationships develop over Mm -hmm. time and like i said because you you, what's cool another cool thing about pbta is there it's almost like a fail forward system and so you gain Mm -hmm. experience when you fail a role and so that's so you're always getting something you're never really failing which i I like that i feel so important um
0: especially if you're working on it with kids like that's even exactly rare.
1: exactly right because giving a child telling a child first of all they failed is like as right. difficult verbiage anyway um but teaching them that in a game is also hard depending on the age and the child right so yeah. um yeah. yeah so it's just another reason why with that you know with that level up system based on you know roles that you have failed so you're always failing forward plus your relationships getting flushed out and Cooler moves obviously come when you get leveled up. And so for all those reasons, I just prefer to play at least four or five sessions with my PVTA games, if I can swing it.
0: Oh yeah. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously like it, it reminds me of like so many times when you, um, when you see like a pilot episode of a TV show, right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, or even like there are shows that I like have loved in my life where like You go, you think back to like the first couple shows and you know, you'll watch them and you're like, this show's got potential. Like if this makes it to season two, this is going to be super good because I'm going to know the characters and I'm going to love it. Um, It's one of the reasons actually why a lot of times I wait until shows are over to start watching them so that I'm not like, right. You don't lose that. Like, Oh, it was only one season. And I, I felt like they were finally hitting their stride and then it ended. Um that that's what that reminds me of what you're describing with the one shots like oh my gosh this is going to be so great no you're done sorry sorry about your yeah. lot it's over
1: come yeah, on exactly
0: um so what when you were um so when you were like thinking about taking the PBTA you know system in 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 trying to figure out how to strip it down you know you said you kind of did the initial run over a weekend but like what were the things that really jumped out at you as like deciding what to, you know, what, what's core, what are you going to salvage and what can you, what's superfluous that you can cut um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, superfluous enough. Cause obviously if you're in love with the system, all of it matters, right? All of it
1: matters. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We actually went through um, like a redesign. So when we originally made this game or yeah, when we originally designed this game, it had a different theme. For it, Mm -hmm. and we even went through the route of like starting to talk to an artist, and we were this was a couple of years ago, and and then things happened. We were like, nope, let's just now is not the right time. Let's just shelve it for a bit. And Mm -hmm. then we, I actually think it was Tim, not myself, who saw um, Amber's art. So the artist for this game, who's also our partner, uh, is Amber. She's at Rocket Orca on Twitter. She designs amazing and adorable goblins oh, and she makes pins yes. and stickers and she's done a couple of Kickstarters. She has an Etsy story. You should absolutely check it out. Yes. She's a fantastic artist. And Tim said to me one day, what if we took, we called it Wim at the time. What if we took mm-hmm. Wim and stripped the setting, kept the mechanics and talked to Amber about using her art, like having her create art for the game? Mm-hmm. So we did. We did. And actually January of this year, January of 2021, we had our first meeting uh, and we were really excited. And so the only thing to answer your question, the only thing that we really changed aside from the whole setting (laughs) is originally the players could pick their stats. So like we had four stats and, you know, you could assign your numbers to them. Mm -hmm. And we decided that we would make it even more simple for younger kids. And we would just go ahead and stat everything out for them. So when you pick up your card, it's, it's just ready to, to go. Like if you choose the Wrangler, you already have your numbers and your, your modifiers in your, um,
0: right, right.
1: Yeah. So that was really the only thing that we, that we changed. And it was, it was only because our son always wanted to put everything in strength and then solve everything with hitting it. (laughs) So we changed that up a a, little bit. I have
0: a kid like that too. Yeah. It's my daughter, but yes. yes. I love it. She'd be like, how can I just punch this problem away? Exactly. Um, And she can, she can Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, so uh, what about the – what did you do for, like, the moves? Did you fully cut the moves out or did you try to, like, give set moves to characters?
1: We fully cut the moves out and we added companions. And so oh. each each adorablin, each little goblin, mm-hmm. ha- you can choose a companion. Um, and the companions are equally cute. And they mechan- – <laughs> They're so adorable. They're it's all totally designed cute. All, all the art is done by Amber. Um, but the, right. the companions one are fun. I don't know about you, but I love to have a little companion in games. I just think it's, mm-hmm. if I'm going to play a cozy yeah. or silly game, I'm, you know, give me a little pill bug or a worm. So yeah, yeah. we added that. And then mechanically it actually helps where if, um, if someone does not succeed in their role, their companion can help them get that success and they can narrate how their companion helps them, which I think just assists in that teaching to role play, right? Well, tell me how your right, companion right. helps. Now they get to be creative and make make up a narrative. And that seemed to be a lot of fun. Um, it seemed to be a lot of fun for our, our son. And then when we play tested it with adults, then of course, they all fought over which companion they wanted. So we we're like, well, maybe this is something cool after all.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I would totally fight with my own kids over the companion <laughs> yes. that I get that one. Exactly. <laughs> um, have did you draw any inspiration from or have you even tried like No Thank You Evil? That's the only other one I can think yeah. of that is like, um, yeah, yeah, I played that one time. My kids have asked to play it again. We just haven't got around to it. That one I feel like requires at least maybe as my old like DM days, but I'm just like putting too much into it. Yeah. So like, I'm like, dad needs like some time to get this like ready. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And when we um, had our second child, we obviously had, um, we only have two, but when we had our second child, there was obviously even less time, right. Mm-hmm. To, to oh, do yeah. set up. And so part of another thing that I really like about this game, that was our goal was to make it a really quick game. So that is part of the reason why we took moves completely out. I mm-hmm. love PBTA moves, but if you're trying to teach your child how to role play or if they know how to role play, but there's only 45 minutes until dinner, <laughs> then this mm-hmm. is a pick up and go type of game that you can, right. it really right. only takes a few minutes. So, right. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, um, I still have some other questions and stuff. I want to totally ask about, but sure. let's actually dive into, um, the the pitch. Cause I love to hear, about uh Adorablins specifically because i'm I, I all I know about it is what I've read um on your website and and you know on like the, the Kickstarter preview and stuff. So yeah I'm super uh yeah I'm super interested to hear the full details. Sure. Uh, and then uh and then we'll we'll talk some more about how you got there. So if that's okay.
1: Yeah absolutely I'd love to do that. And I some of it I may have already said so apologies if I repeat myself. Oh. Um, no but problem. so what Adorablins is is it is a very rules light, family-friendly, stripped down, powered by the apocalypse game. It is going to come in a mint tin. So it really is a pocket-sized, adorable little game. You will have um, eight companions or yeah, I'm sorry. You will have eight adorablins and eight companions that you can pair together. We have things like the weaver, which is like your spellcaster and baker. We have the charger. And if you haven't seen the art yet. The charger is a little goblin that looks like they are ready to fight and they are wearing bread rolls as boxing gloves. Oh, that's good. um, Yeah. And we have like the wrangler who's riding a little hamster. So you basically have all these little goblins you can choose from, adorable as well as your companions. And then The setting of the game is there are some world building questions, just a few, like three or four questions you can ask your kids or, you know, your table if you're playing with adults. And basically what will happen then is the person who is running the game will say, okay, you are in your goblin land. You have lost this item. Again, this is based on what you've decided in world building. Um, You've Mm -hmm. lost this item through this magical portal into the real world. Uh, and you have to get your group of adventurers ready to go and retrieve the items. So as far as a one-shot, it absolutely works. Replayability will come in because you will basically get to have a status as an adventurer, and then you will go on different and more um, complex adventures. Mm -hmm. So there will be some replayability. And then also, of course, if you decide to... Uh, go to a different location in the real world, lose a different item, play a different companion. All of those things will also add to a little bit of, of replayability.
0: Excellent. And so you mentioned narrator. So one yeah. person will narrate the game then um, yes. and kind of help move it along.
1: Yes, exactly. We have, I mean, typically if you're going to be playing with kids, then it's the adult. Right. And we have a little, right, right. we have some cards that are set up kind of to be like your little GM screen that have the, the action roles on them and the rules on them so that you can just easily refer to them. Um, so yeah, so one person will play as, as like the GM or the facilitator.
0: Cool. Cool. No, that uh, makes total sense um i'm looking at your website here watching this awesome animation of all the stuff come out um uh you can see that by the way at diceupgames.com um so two of the things that pop up here is i noticed you have a spotlight card um and is that to like uh explain oh, to me yes. how I, I believe i know how it works but let's explain it to the listeners of how it works thank <laughs> rather you, than me Steve. asking you if this is how it works <laughs> oh
1: no thank you so much That's i'm so glad that you that you brought that up um so the spotlight card is basically it's it is going to be a physical card in the game, and it has. it's going to have a little cute design done by Amber on it. And when it is a player's turn, the spotlight card will go in front of them. And that is to help, especially with children, right? Mm-hmm. That is to help know... This is the person who's talking right now. This is the ah, character ah, we're focused on. And once they're done, they hand their card to the next person or back to the narrator, depending on how how the story is going. But it's just a, a physical tool to help kids with here's whose turn it is. I have a spotlight card. It's me.
0: Right, right, right. Oh, listen, you can't see this, but she just waved the spotlight card in front of I did. me.
1: So- I have a, we have a reviewer copy. So I have a reviewer copy in front of me.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh in um, the end I so first of all too I want to mention that yes I see some of these companions here like the mushroom with a mustache which <laughs> is ridiculous in the best way possible yes um and a-, a worm coming out of an apple pill bugs as you did mention uh, yeah. before and then a cat um yeah patchy. yeah patchy the cats um yeah. but one of the other things I wanted to point out was too I also see that you have like the X card for safety um Absolutely. and so that's not something we've talked about much on the show. I, I'm aware of it, but I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what that normally is, and mm-hmm. then I would love to hear how you transitioned that for use with kids. Not sure. not that I don't think it would work with kids. I'm just I'm curious how you approached it.
1: Sure, of course. So the X card, um, I would I'm I'll give what how I have used the X card in my experience, but I would encourage folks to go out and look up all the safety tools because there yes. are many Good safety point. tools that you can use. Um, I don't I'm not the expert or inventor of the X card. Um so the X card as used in my experience is um, either something physical or now that we play so much online, um, you can actually make like an X with your fingers or your arms. and it's it's to basically say, pause the game. Right? Something has happened that has made you as a player uncomfortable, or you see that mm-hmm. it's going to a place where it might be uncomfortable. And so you are stopping it and you are Xing that what just happened. Um, so let's say we're playing Adorblins and your Adorblin punches mine in the face. Nope. <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable. I'm Xing that. And then it's understood because safety has been explained at the beginning of the game um, that you basically rewind and there are tools for that there's tools for rewinding and Mm -hmm. and things like that that we didn't put in this game what we did for this game was um was we just did a safety card that is red and it has an x on it and then it has a the rules on it for the facilitator so the thought is is there's going to be either an older teenager or an adult running this game when it's for kids. Mm -hmm. And they will be able to explain what I just did. If something makes you uncomfortable, you just point to this card or you make an X and we Mm -hmm. will stop the game and discuss and resume once everyone, you know, feels ready. So.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I've, um, I've never actually seen it used in a game as in like somebody had to use it to say like, Hey, let's stop. Um, But I appreciate that it's there. Uh, I think about the times when I was playing like D and D, like when I was in high school and how many times, like if we had had something like that, somebody might've been like, Whoa, can we not like, this is not right. great. Uh, just because of some of the people that we played with, it made us super uncomfortable. Um, but we were yeah. in high school and we didn't think like, Oh gosh, Hey, we could say, stop that. Like, right. I don't like this.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's important because I know Tim and Tim and banana when they worked with, with Dan on Questlines, um, uh-huh. They designed a different system that's a red light or it's a red, yellow, green system that and that we they play tested with many kids, but including my son. And so mm-hmm. basically it was like red was stop. Yellow was I'm I'm getting uncomfortable. The lights go out. I'm not sure how things are going. And then to put a positive spin, green is I really like this. Can we do more of this? Oh, cool. Um, so that was a really cool thing, I thought. And my son still to this day will say red light at just random times, if something, right? If there's something on TV that's a little too scary or.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And so I just, I think that, again, like you said, I, I've i played many, many, many games and I've mm-hmm. seen people use the X card one or two times.
0: But right, if we can right.
1: teach kids that it's there, mm-hmm. that they can use their voice, that they can say, can you please stop? I just think that's an important, important lesson right out the gate for role players.
0: Absolutely. No, I commend you for doing that. um For actually putting that in. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, assuming that people aren't using the card because they don't need to, not because they're afraid to, like, it's great to hear knowing how many role-playing games you've probably played in your life to hear that it's only been used a couple of times. Um, and, uh, have you, have you seen it used in Adorablins or, or no? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen it used in Adorablins, Um, but we... (laughs) We have play-tested Adorablins with more adults than kids. <laughs> we have definitely play-tested it with a handful of kids. Uh, but we were surprised that we could get so many of our adult friends to play it. <laughs> so, um, and I just think that, you know, with adults, especially people you know, not that, again, not that safety isn't important, but it's just not used as frequently, in my experience. Right,
0: right. Yeah, no, I mean, that that makes, I mean, if, I, I guess I would say that, like, if if you feel like you're with a group to where you have to pull the x card like every session you yeah. may be with the wrong group exactly like, they are not supporting you like right. because clearly uh they're not getting the message right yeah. uh of what's of what is not comfortable for you so um yeah yeah and i think you know i i know that the last D campaign i played in we had kind of just had like an off-the-cuff conversation about and this was several years back but just of like Hey, I wouldn't be comfortable if we had any of this or that. I think it's oh, because we were we were playing neutral to slash slightly evil characters. So we kind of had like yeah. a chat at the beginning about like what are we cool with and what is not cool. And right. um, you know, and uh and then based on that, the campaign ended up being mostly like us not great people taking down worse people, right? So like exactly something you could get on board with, right? Root for the less evil person, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, those, even those rudimentary conversations like that, I think are really important to make sure that the people are comfortable, right. I mean, that's, yeah. it's literally the least you can do to make sure people's experiences are, you know, they, they can, they can leave, they can enter a game feeling safe and leave feeling, you know, supported right. if there's a problem or, or safe if there's not. Right. Um,
1: yeah. And, and I think role-playing games give us, whether we think about it consciously or not, I think role-playing games provide a lot of tools for us. And so as Mm -hmm. a kid, if kids are, if a side effect of this is they're learning math by counting dice, even though it's only 2D6 in our game, there's multiple games out there for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And also learning how to use their voice when they're uncomfortable and listen and have a positive or understanding response when other kids their age are uncomfortable. Like, I think those are excellent things a way to take away from a, a game.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I'm curious, just looking at the game, because it's other than the artwork, it's just laid out gorgeously. Um, oh, thanks. Did Amber also do the graphic
1: design on it? Um, so the graphic design is done. So uh, Dice Up Games is partnering with Letterman Games on this. Letterman Games oh, is who published yeah. Questlings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Um, and so um, someone in, on Dan's team at Letterman Games did the did the layout, okay. did the graphic design.
0: They, i mean they 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 understood amber's art well enough that it literally looks like she did it herself um, yeah
1: and actually it was a partnership because tim tim originally did it because and this is going to go above and beyond your question i apologize that's but that's that's okay let's um, <laughs> When when Tim, Amber and I first started talking, and you know, because we're all partners in this game, although Amber does the art and we own the mechanics, like we've partnered together to to make it a cohesive game, right? To make mm-hmm. sure that the lore yeah. fit and all of that. And we were just gonna publish it through Dice Up. We were just gonna do this ourselves. And we're like, hey, if it funds and if it does well, we will just sit in our garage and just make these games ourselves. And then Dan and I were talking on Twitter about something completely different we ended up having a meeting about a possible design project that had nothing to do with this we were just chatting this game came up and he was like hey tell me more about that and so then when we ended up partnering with him through right. meetings and contracts and it obviously was more than that but when right. we ended up partnering with him we um, were lucky enough to also have the person that does his layout and graphic design mm-hmm. so Tim had started it to give Tim some credit and then their gra- their graphic design person finished it so
0: that's off that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Are you um you say whenever somebody says mint tins, the first thing I think is that you could be printing onshore with somebody like the Game Crafter, uh, or is it knowing that it's Letterman games, is it printed? Are you are you going to like are you offshoring it to where like you can you can get the mint tins? Like I'm completely unaware of this. So I'm just curious. Yeah. If so I can if, ask, if that's if that's not okay, I I won't no, ask.
1: No, 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 you <laughs> okay. you can ask. I will not be able to answer it the same way Dan will cuz part of the reason that we are partnering with Dan is because his expertise is in the manufacturing, right? He's like I Fantastic. know where to get it yeah. fulfilled. I know I can get you the quotes. We that is something that that's why we were saying Uh, We being Amber, Tim and I originally were like, we will make this, not make this, we'll print it in the Game Crafter and we'll put it together in our garages because we don't have that experience yet. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So Dan does. I believe he's going to use the same company he used for Questlings and for Adventure Tactics. I think it is overseas Mm -hmm, or offshore. mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's...
0: Cool. Yeah. I, I'm I'm so curious about that right now because, I mean, everything's just went to crap right? with mm-hmm. everything and like I mean, you know, we I, I'm working with um with Hannah Schaefer on uh uh like an 18 card RPG, um, and we've went back and forth about do we print it offshore? Do we print it from the Game Crafter? Um, simply because like there's so much hassle with everything offshore right now that yeah. if you don't, it's like you know, if you've got somebody like Dan, who's done this before and knows what he's doing. Awesome. Right. Exactly. When you don't, it's like, we could save 20 cents a copy. Is that worth it? Or is it worth it just to pay, you know, even 50 cents more a copy to know that it's here and we can control it. (laughs) And like, yep, I could drive to Wisconsin and get it. Like, you know, um, if I had to, like, you know, we can fix issues. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, It's something that's really, it's a lot to consider right now. So I think it was super smart that y'all partnered with somebody who had that experience because that experience is worth a lot.
1: Um, Agreed. And we would have, if we did not end up partnering with Dan, our original plan was to absolutely use the Game Crafter or someplace in the U.S. because we were not going to, and of course no one sets out to do this, but we were very aware that we don't want to get into a situation where we cannot fulfill a game. Right for people right it's very important to us as it is to most people right yeah (laughs) yeah
0: right i mean and you hear these horror stories about people that you know have like crazy good kickstarters that make like six figures and then like don't have enough money to fulfill and end up losing money on it like nobody wants that Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's you you fund a game for 10 grand like that's that's going to be problematic you fund it for you know 200 grand uh, and have that same problem, like you could lose your house. Like, it's like, right. that's a big thing, right? Yes. Um, so yeah, oh gosh, it's it's so much to think about with this stuff. It um, really
1: is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot to think about. And so I'm very happy that we, it's part of the reason why I'm confident going into the Kickstarter in January is because I just, I know that we've worked on it long enough. So I know it's a good product, but then also mm-hmm. knowing that we're partnering with someone who has, done this multiple times and fulfilled multiple games i'm like okay Mm -hmm. this is a good this is a good partnership
0: (laughs) yep yep no absolutely absolutely um something i was curious about with um so the whole pbta thing reminds me of the descended from the queen um are you familiar with that so for there's for the queen we've talked about it on the show before but for anybody who doesn't know there's you've got for the queen uh was a game made by uh alex roberts uh it's a fantastic game uh, and so people are allowed to take, um, you know, kind of the idea and the essence of that game and channel it into their own game. But they just have to say, this is a game that is descended from the queen. Like, are there like, do they have like written? Cause I know that um, uh, they actually have written rules about like for the queen and what a descended from the game queen game is and how that works. And right um, like, do they have that with, with PBTA stuff? Or is that, is it just kind of like loose and, Hey, you can do what you want. I, I'm just curious. <laughs> like I,
1: Yeah. Um, I, um, I have not looked at the actual license for the apocalypse. So apocalypse now is the original game. Um, and been powered by the apocalypse is every game that follows much like Descendant from the queen is every game that follows for the queen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, So I know that we absolutely did look it up when we very first made this system. Um, Mm -hmm. I think as long as you call it PBTA, uh, as long as you credit that it's a powered by the apocalypse. Yep, yep. Then it is like an open license.
0: Right, right. Um, And that's exactly how it works for. um, That's exactly how it works for um, descended from the queen, to my knowledge, as well. So
1: yeah,
0: uh, that is to me one of the the most interesting things differences between the the board game side and the role-playing side because like Mm -hmm. i can't fathom a board game company saying like
1: hey right
0: you want to you want to take these mechanics and remix them a little just a little bit yeah give us credit like you know we're cool with that like that's um even though i mean we we kind of do that as designers right where you're like i really like this game or like this mechanic from this other game i'm gonna mash those up and see what happens right and right and that's totally legit you can do that um you know but the idea of like saying like here's the written rules i'm going to use those to you know uh make a new game um that doesn't happen and, and okay maybe there's designers out there who are listening right now who are like dummy yeah that does happen here's some examples great 770 tell btg give us a call uh and tell me why i'm wrong or send me an email that's fine too um but to my knowledge that doesn't generally happen um without a lot of contractual stuff for every single game (laughs) so I, i love that like sense of like camaraderie and community right um yeah like talking to alex roberts you know she was just basically like i love that people are using my system to make their own games. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, um, and I think it's super cool. Uh, it's just a big difference between the between yeah. the two, um, you know, between the two different uh, parts of the, you know, really the same industry, right?
1: Right. And I think part of it is, um, again, just speaking from my own experience. I, th- I think part of it is. There's absolutely more money in board games than there is in role-playing games. And so not that board gamers aren't passionate. I know they are. They're wonderful. I think that folks who design role-playing games, they usually, again, in my experience, do it as a passion project. They're not quitting their Mm day job, right? And so a lot of this is... Because I have a similar feeling to Alex Roberts. If someone... Every time someone plays one of my games it's mm-hmm. still like the first, time. I still can't believe people want to yeah. play something I made. That's so awesome. it's just that again, and again, not that's not, not that there's not that feeling with board games. I just, my experience right, is an right. in indie role playing. And so that's what I've seen.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, you know, there's not, there's not a ton of money to be made in board games, but there is, I think really like to me, and I, and maybe we'll see this change more as, you know, more people talk about, print and plays and digital implementations and stuff and that's actually something we're going to talk about in january on the show um uh, based on a kickstarter we saw called voyages uh by postmark games did you have you seen that one no um so you should check it out uh i all the listeners check it out it's called voyages it's by postmark games and it is a print and play only um and it's like one page you Mm -hmm. print it you can play it um and uh you print it, you can play it. Listen to me. It's a freaking role-playing <laughs> game. Like, what else would you do with it? Uh, but anyways, um, but yeah, and that's, it sounds like that's their model, right? Like that's what they're doing. And, uh, um, you know, in, in a, in a world of really credit distribution and stuff right now in supply chain, that's great. That's a great yeah. fix. Um, but when I think about like the ability to do that with role-playing games is, has always been there. Right. I mean, ever since you could just have a, a PDF of it on your computer and never have to make a physical version except for maybe a character sheet. Maybe not even that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you can do that online as well Um. by having that. um, I think it's just, it's from a production standpoint. So I'm trying not to, I don't want to sound like I'm like diminishing like <laughs> RPGs from a production standpoint. It's easier to put the content out there. Right. Yeah. If you don't want to print a book. Right. Um. Absolutely. And then from the from the board game side, there's so much cost associated with putting a game out there, like yeah. the physical making it right. Um, that that's that probably has something to do with it as well, right? Like yeah. you know, it's not just the less the more or less money to be made; it's the more or less cost of putting it out there. That's very valid. Yeah, um,
1: that's that's very valid. I was talking to um, Senfun Lim about pitching to oh, publishers because yeah. uh, him and Banana did a. Uh, had a pitch to publishers um, seminar for Big Bad Con recently. And I was in the chat and I was, I was saying like, what do you think the difference is between pitching a board game versus pitching a role-playing game? And um, I'm just gonna kind of, uh, I'm not quoting Sen exactly, but the <laughs> message was, if you're gonna pitch a board game, you have to know every piece works, every mechanic fits. If you're pitching a role-playing game, Typically, you need to have a playable idea, but not everything needs to be fleshed out. You can pitch to a right. publisher and not everything right. has to be fleshed out. They have right. to they're buying into the idea of this game versus the right, right. actual mechanics.
0: Well, and if you literally have created a role playing game and everything is fleshed out, publish it your damn self. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like. Right. Because, yeah. again, like it's, you know, um, you've done all the work and it's, you know, it's out there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think that I totally agree that Sen is and Banana, both ridiculously smart people. I don't oh, know Sen are. as well. Obviously, I know Banana super well, um, and she's a joy to work with and just mm-hmm. so smart in general. Um, we were actually at a pitch meeting today, and they were like, oh, tell us about yourselves. And, and she listed all these things she was working on. I was like, I feel like I know you pretty well, and I didn't know half that. Right? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And I let her go first, so then after I was like, well- I have a bit less to say, um, right? like, out, like you're so amazing.
1: I know My she, gosh. she is, we're finally going to yeah. start. We're working on a game together. Um, oh, starting, that's awesome. started in 2022, but we have talked about working together for probably 18 months. Nice, um, nice. she's, she's incredible. So
0: yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple party games we've been pitching around.
1: Nice. Um,
0: one of which has a little light role playing in it and, and I'm super stoked for them both to find a home. I I really hope they do. Um, yeah, yeah. And and it's been fun. We've we've shown them to a lot of people because um, you know you're trying to find that right publisher for yeah. your game, right? Um, because you get one shot with with some of these games, and like yep. I- I- if if you sign with the wrong publisher or something like that, like it just may not you know it may come out fizzle and just be done, right? right. And then that that idea that you believe could be something really big wasn't. Um, yeah. So yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, it's stressful, but no banana. Awesome. Great to work with. I'm sure she'll be back on the show in the not too distant future because, (laughs) because I always am like, come on the show. Let's chat about stuff.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same, same. I have her on my show too. I'm like, Oh, I see you have another game. You want to do another interview? (laughs) Yep.
0: Well, she actually is, she, you know, being part of questlings, um, we had like the, a big interview because she was like, I'm going to bring everybody on who was part of wrestling," yeah. So it was great. Um, yeah, it was, it was really fun to have multiple people like that on to really chat about all of it. So
1: that is fun. I've done that before too, where you get to talk to like, and one-on-one's always great, but sometimes when you could to talk to like two or three people that are involved in the project, especially if you have like someone who owns the lore or someone who's the artist, you get to just mm-hmm. these different perspectives on the game. It's just nice.
0: It is. It is. It is. Yes. And one thing I just want to throw out there, you mentioned partnering with Amber as an artist to do your game and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, more people should do that. I'm doing that on a game where we've been trying to pitch it around, but I partnered with an artist on it. Like we kind of like went in 50 50 together Mm -hmm. and said, all right, we might publish this ourselves. We might show it to someone else, but like we are doing this together. Um, And it's so fun. Like being able to actually work directly with an artist and, and start from that. I mean, and your game truly did, right? You had a game, you shelved it, and then you saw that art and you were like, aha, no, this is it. Like this is what yeah. we have to do. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And because the art, because the the goblin art is so specific to Amber, like she has, she just did recently like a a Bruncho Goblins Kickstarter. And so all the like stickers I and pins are one. food related.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, yes. So
1: because it's her IP we wanted to make sure like, yeah, we have the mechanics and we have some ideas for what your goblin lore could be, but like these came from your mind. So we, right, right. you need to have equal say, right. This needs to be like a, a partnership, um, which I'm sure she would have insisted herself because she's very intelligent and, and is doing very well in gaming and freelance work. Right, but right. it was just nice to come to the table and both have that understanding and be able to move forward. And yeah, it's, it's been great. At least I, I love her art. It's adorable. Adorable lens. <laughs> yes.
0: Adorable, adorable <laughs> Um, Well, this is, this has been a super fun, super fun conversation. Uh, and it's been awesome to chat about all this stuff. I'm, I was excited to hear about your game and learn about, you know, things that are powered by the apocalypse. Uh. I, And uh, yeah, and just a little bit about y'all's process in this. It's really exciting.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I've loved chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, and listeners, you can find, um, if you go to um, diceupgames.com, you can find the link to Kickstarter. And while it's not live yet, they have the awesome thing now where you can say notify me at launch, which creators love (laughs) if you do do. that. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always try to do that. I also, it's just great because... Otherwise, I forget, right? There's so many Kickstarters I'm interested in. Yep. Um, And even if something where I'm like, oh, I'm a little interested in this, just click it, click it, and it'll remind you. And then you can see Um, there are some games where, like, I'll literally click the notify me. It will launch and then I'll click the remind me at the end. And then I'll come back and be like, okay, yeah, no, I I, like I can back this. This is great. Um, This one, though, this this will be a day one for me for sure, just (laughs) because this is absolutely going to work with my children. Uh, They're going to love it um because like this will scratch that no thank you evil itch that they have but it'll be like boom we can just play it right now um which is really cool because uh yeah because you know it's it's tough when they're like you know any other board game they don't understand that they can just pull it out and say let's play it right um and this you know like it's when it's a rpg and i have to do a bunch of like front-loaded work we we can't like so yeah so this will this will be really nice i think they'll really dig it Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so listeners, like I said, go to uh, DiceUpGames.com and uh, you can find all about uh, everything um, Tim and Kristen are doing there. They've got uh, a bunch of different games and things you can check out while you're there. Um, And uh, in addition to that, if you want to get in touch with our show, of course, you can go to BuildingTheGamePodcast.com. There you can sign up for our Discord channel where we do our weekly accountability meetings. Strongly advise you to do that, as I always do. Um, and then, uh, you can also call us at seven, seven hotel BTG. You can email us at building the game podcast at gbell.com. Twitter is generally one of the best places to find us at podcast BTG. I am at J a Slingerland and Kristen is at Kristen is no Jedi. And you can, uh, check her out there. And, um, yes. Uh, I lost my train of thought because I was just thinking about that Kristen is no Jedi has a super good Twitter handle. And I remember thinking that the first time when I followed you, I was like, that's good. And then I said it. And then I was still like, no, it's still really good. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Still you. a really, really I good love uh,
0: handle. Yes. <laughs> um but uh yeah. So listeners, uh, please uh please come back next week. Uh but until next time, good night.
1: Good night building the game which isn't in friends which isn't in friends
0: building the game building the game which isn't in friends which isn't in friends
1: dial 770 tell BTG, please don't use the email